Acts 29 exists to serve in the goal of planting churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. Planting churches is a mechanism to get us to the goal, which is the glory of God. We plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. This is the Acts 29 Podcast. I'm Tony Morita. Acts 29 is a diverse global family of church planting churches. In this podcast, various pastors, theologians, and innovators will share stories and insights to help you serve Christ's church more faithfully and effectively. On today's podcast, we welcome Paul Bokel. Paul is the missional pastor at Redemption Church in Huntington, West Virginia. You will be edified as Paul talks to us about how small churches can make a global impact. Hey, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tony, thank you so much. It's good to be here. Paul, uh, I want to talk about a couple of things in particular with you on, on this podcast. Uh, I'd like for us to think about uh, church planting in small town USA, uh, though this would be relevant probably in other countries as well, uh, in small towns, but uh, Appalachia in particular, uh, as you are in West Virginia. Uh, I have a background in Appalachia as well. Most people assume you and I have never went to you know, school, we don't wear shoes, and, you know, um, some of the assumptions may be correct, but um, you'll find out that Paul is a very, very wise man. Uh, so I want to talk about that in light of a lot of conversation we're hearing today about church planting in, in major cities and the emphasis on that. Uh, and then what's it like to minister in this kind of forgotten part of the United States? Um, and I'd like for us to also think about how a small town church can reach the nations because one of the things I love about your story is uh, your involvement in Uganda, your church's involvement as well. And so though you guys are a local church in uh, a smaller town, you're not in this little tiny little village. You're, you're in a, actually in a, a city in West Virginia, um, but it's, it's not New York city. Um, how, how you can uh, partner, how you can connect and uh, be about uh, the global church planting movement uh, that's happening um, I think that's really neat. So uh, we'll, we'll jump into those here in just a minute. Um, but before we do, why don't you uh, just introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, tell us a little bit about your story, how you became a Christian, how you got involved in ministry. Okay. Yeah. And again, I, I want to echo uh, the same thing about the Brotherhood of the X 29 Network. Uh, it is always a joy to be with uh, the brothers uh, within the network uh, and again as you said it, it doesn't happen enough uh, like you've already uh, introduced uh, a little bit about me i am from west virginia that's where i was born and raised a little town called huntington uh, kind of where ohio and kentucky and west virginia all uh, butt up against each other huntington sits right there and um, that's where i was born that's where i was raised went to school there um, all the way through uh, long story short as far as getting into ministry um, i had kind of written off the church, quite frankly, and God, by his grace, didn't allow that to to stick. Uh, there was a man who was uh, planting a church, and I had no idea what that term meant at the time in 2004 in uh, Huntington, West Virginia. And he called me up. He uh, found out uh, my name through a friend. And uh, from the start, four of us in his basement uh, began what is now known as Redemption Church. And so I've been with it from the from the earliest days, I was green behind the ears. I had no business leading anything, but since there was only four of us, I ended up leading some things. Um, some of you know all too well, um, maybe what that's like uh, from your church planting experience. 
Um, but through that, God was gracious and faithful and kind to us. Um, I'll never forget those days. I value them deeply uh, to be in those small, intimate settings, uh, just reading the word together, hearing it preached, but also in a way that we could be conversational about it in those spaces. Everyone knew exactly uh, what each person was going through, a deep intimacy as the gospel was transforming our lives. And and as things grew, um, I eventually uh, finished a photography degree from Marshall. Again, I had no intention of full-time ministry. Um, but in 2011, um, I felt uh, through elder training that I was uh, going through um, at the church, I was going to do it at a volunteer level. I felt called into full-time ministry. So again, I mean, it's a, there's a lot that can be fleshed out about calling, but we walked through it together, me, some wise counsel, uh, my dad, uh, who I uh, deeply value his influence in my life um, as a Christian, as a mentor, and then also some of the pastors at our church, and to come to a place where um, at the end of kind of that walking through period, we said, yeah, this is right. So I, uh, I applied. Uh, with Acts 29, made it all the way to the face-to-face interview. I uh, passed with a, with a three. I don't even use that lingo anymore. I don't know, but I passed with a three. And uh, from there, the strong condition suggested I wait. And I'll say this as well to those of you listening uh, to this, maybe who are getting ready to go into the Acts 29 assessment process, and maybe you're thinking it's too much, too heavy. Why is this such a uh, intense process? Or maybe you're even listening to this and you just came off a an assessment that maybe fell a little bit heavy on your your heart and your mind because it wasn't as positive as you wanted it to be. Um, I will attest to the fact that that three is one of the kindest things that God's ever done uh, for me. It brought me to pause the direction that we were going in uh, and quite frankly rescued my wife and family at some level from turmoil and and what would have likely been a burnout from the from the start, and so um, I'm, I thank God for that assessment process, and that it brought me uh, to a place of saying not yet. But in that not yet, I was hired on at Redemption Church as full time pastor. Um, so uh, from there, I've been ministering um, alongside uh, four other pastors at Redemption Church, and it's been a deep blessing to minister to God's people in Huntington, West Virginia. Hmm. Now, uh, was was your church uh, part of the A29 family from the very beginning, or was that like? Uh, well, um, where that came from was uh, about. I'm 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 going to get this date wrong, but I think it's probably 2008, uh, which the church began in uh, 2004, launched publicly in 2006. So the core team from 2004 to 2006, and then launched in 2006 and 2008. Um, our lead pastor. Uh, was formally assessed by the X29 network um, in Florida, I think, and uh, that's when we came into the network. And uh, your your role at the church is? I'm a missional pastor, so I uh, am in charge of leading all of our gospel community uh, groups or community groups, whatever uh, vernacular you use to describe them. But uh, our gospel community groups write the uh, questions for that and make sure that all our leaders are pastored and healthy and um, that sort of thing. I also, just out of a hobby, uh, I handle our social media, video, uh, photography, things like that. Any of that branding, um, I'm involved with that. And then some administrative stuff here or there. We're still kind of a small church, so I wear a lot of different hats, but the main one is our gospel community groups and, and then engaging our 
uh, community with uh, missional activities. Uh, so, and then even our global involvement as well. I oversee all of all of that. So tell us about uh, wife, kids. Uh, was there intermarriage in your uh, there in West Virginia or what? <laughs> okay, so no intermarriage, right? But uh, <laughs> and I'm wearing shoes, by the way, too, and and so is Tony. So. Um, his are untied, so they might not stay on much longer. Um, but anyway, uh, my wife is also from West Virginia. Uh, we met at Marshall University, uh, Go Herd, or We Are Marshall, whichever cheer you prefer, if you even ever have ever heard of such a place. Uh, but uh, we met at Marshall University. Uh, we were both, and again, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, correct? And so my story, God's story of redemption in me is one of giving me things probably before I was ready and then graciously enabling me through the process where I wasn't ready to be married. Uh, she was a lot more ready to be married, but I wouldn't say she was completely ready either. But God graciously brought us together. We bumbled and stumbled our way into marriage. And from there, God just has graciously, graciously blessed us. We married in 2008. Our first child was born in 2010. And now we have four children total, three boys. Um, Isaiah is six, Ezra is four, uh, Abraham is th three. And then last year we spent 10 weeks in Uganda and we brought home our daughter. She's five years old. She's our second oldest child, but she is the fourth addition to our family. And her name is uh, Phoenix Juliet. And she's absolutely amazing. Um, addition to our family. We couldn't be more thankful. Or, or what led you guys into adoption? Well, it's, uh, there was a lot there. Uh, some of it was uh, personal stories from people we knew. We watched them walk through it, one of them being the lead pastor at Redemption Church. Josh Perry, his uh, family adopted from Ethiopia, much like uh, your family. Um, and then uh, some other folks that we knew, just hearing the stories, reading Russell Moore's book, Adopted for Life. Um, that came before our final decision immediately following our final decision while we're throwing book titles out came orphanology by some guy i can't remember no that's your book tony and uh, rick morton um so we we just we're investing ourselves in uh the thought process of what does adoption look like it but since uh watched our lead pastor go through it my wife and i had said that's something we've always considered doing i mean even from the earliest days of our marriage so we committed to it uh after our third child, we said, now's the time. If we don't do it now, or our family's going to grow to a size where it's going to be easier for us to excuse ourselves out of it. Mm -hmm. So we said, now it's now or never. So, I mean, we committed, medically committed. <laughs> we said, we're done with kids mm -hmm. uh, biologically. And we jumped into the uh, adoption process. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a whole podcast in itself to talk through <laughs> adoption. But, yeah. man, it's such a great story. Um, a lot of our guys who are listening are uh, church planters, aspiring church planters, or pastors of existing churches that are uh, trying to train up and deploy church planters. There's a lot of talk in the church planting culture right now about cities uh, in the SBC. So the Baptist Convention, there's a big emphasis on you know a particular number of cities, and there's more funding for if you go to those cities. Um, guys reading Tim Keller, uh, his you know the city to city network. Uh, we have cities in uh, the emerging regions um, team that we're trying to target uh, globally. Um, I think we would both, uh, you know, uh, see the value of, mm -hmm. of uh, this initiative and this emphasis. So 
Uh, I don't want to minimize that at all, nor do I want you to minimize that. But talk to talk to us about small town church planting. Uh, your thoughts on this this emphasis on city, city, city. Well, I think that uh, again, I completely get the uh, cultural centers and the influence that they have on the surrounding areas. And so, like you said, there's no. I don't think you can overemphasize it to the point of uh, that being uh, inappropriate. Uh, but I think what may be happening uh, as we emphasize it um, so thoroughly and actively and energetically is that the rural church planting, not intentionally, uh, but as a byproduct of how excited everyone is for and how sexy it's made to appear to plant in the bigger cities, I think uh, these rural areas, these small towns become afterthoughts. And in that, I think we do a great uh, disservice. Uh, and again, I don't think there's any intentional pursuit to rule out these areas, but we need to remember them. Um, and uh, we need to be actively pursuing them. And even as we talk about church planting, uh, it, whether it's in our churches, as we um, speak to potential church planters and talk about the importance of church planting, which is something all Acts 29 churches are trying to do is always be emphasizing church planting, whether it be how we support them, the stories that we share, um, the ministries that we are physically partnering with, making sure that we are not just putting all of our attention to the cities, but that we are actually partnering financially um, by sharing the stories of and by financially investing in, because uh, there's plenty of great uh, Acts 29 churches that are planting and or are planted in small towns and in rural settings. Uh, you wouldn't even have to leave the network to get behind some of these brothers and to be involved in the ministry that they're that they're doing. I think that's one way that we uh, within the Brotherhood of Acts 29 can begin to maybe, I don't know, counteract might be a too strong of a word, but I can't think of a better one. So counteract this, what uh, it feels like a, a uh, forgetfulness towards these areas. Yeah, and I think another thing to remember is if you're planting a church, if it's in a small town, um, at least in 829, our culture is we are, we are a, a, a diverse global family of church planting churches. So we don't want to just plant one church. Uh, so if you plant a church in small town USA or, or another country, mm -hmm. um, hopefully, hopefully you're going to plant multiple churches. And some of those would include the city. And so uh, just because you're in a small town doesn't mean you can't also be actively involved in, in multiplying churches uh, in large, medium, small towns. Exactly. And I think uh, even like a prime example of that is within our uh, region, the North Atlantic region, um, there is a church, uh, Portico Church in Charlottesville. And I've actually met a man that they just planted out. They've planted multiple churches. Uh, many of them in urban settings, but within a stone's throw, they planted another church in an urban setting, and within another stone's throw, they planted another church in a rural setting. The well at Nelson, I've met the, the pastor there, Dan Megan, and uh, he's actually just, I think, last week, Acts 29 official. And so uh, there's, I think as you diversify, you don't even have to really get that far outside of your context uh, even if you're thinking, oh, we don't want to go too far from our context, mm -hmm. you can plant rural without having to go very far from from your main uh, hub, if you will. Mm -hmm. Now, let's let's think in particular about Appalachia. 
Yeah. Uh, tell the listeners in a second what that is, uh, where that is for those who are not up on that. This is where in where your area one could order a pepperoni roll, right, and a hillbilly hot dog. You really need to, uh, you know, get us up on hillbilly hot dogs. Um, I know you're a big fan of the book Hillbilly Elegy, which is a popular book here in the states um, uh, about life in Appalachia and the Rust Belt, which is uh, a larger section population-wise in America. That's kind of a forgotten area. We're talking Detroit. We're talking Cleveland. We're talking uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Toledo, uh, Buffalo. Um, tons of people living there. Not a lot of emphasis here in the States on these particular cities. Um, there's a lot of history, a lot of connection, actually, with Appalachia and the Rust Belt. So my own story is I was born in Detroit, Rust Belt. My dad lived there for 30 years or so. Then moved to Kentucky, where my mom was from, and we lived sort of on the outskirts of Appalachia. And so I always tell people that I, I grew up in a trailer in eastern Kentucky, and we vacationed in Detroit. And that's that's a, that's a true story. Every Christmas, every summer, that's where we went to. We 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 did our vacation. So I have a real love for this particular area of my, myself. And when we connected, and you told me you're reading Hillbilly Elegy, uh, I had already been dreaming and thinking in my own mind. Uh, how can we create jobs in this area? How can we start church planting movements? How can we show some love to uh, Appalachia? So tell us about this area, uh, you know, how it's unique. Um, what are hillbilly hot dogs? And then I want I want you to kind of talk about uh, missional engagement. How do you engage uh, folks in your area um, with the gospel? Okay, well, first of all, my wife wanted me to clarify that it's Appalachia. At least that's how we say it in West Virginia. We don't so. say anything right in Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I hear it both ways. But uh, she said, you make sure you tell them. Appalachia is how, how we say it. Uh, the pepperoni roll, that's the delicious food. And if you come to West Virginia, stop the, stop into Huntington. Give me a call. I'll hook you up. We'll either homemade, we'll make it at home, or we'll go to any gas station in the entire state of West Virginia, and you'll find one right there. And then uh, Hillbilly Hot Dogs, you can't pass that up either. You got the home wrecker. You got the thundering herd dog, the buckeye dog, the UK wildcat dog, which you probably would prefer that one. I would. Are, now, do you actually eat it in a school bus? You were you, doing? Yeah, you do eat it in a school bus. Uh, it just sits uh, in Greenbottom, West Virginia, on Route Two, headed up towards uh, Point Pleasant from Huntington, West Virginia. Hillbilly I mean, hot dog. That sounds like is, a romantic date night. <laughs> I have done a date night <laughs> to Hillbilly Hot Dog. I'm sorry if you're listening to this, Sarah Beth. That's why you have a happy marriage. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. She, if she can forgive me for that, she can forgive me for just about anything. Um, when we think about diversity uh this is the the hillbilly culture is definitely a people group right? yeah Appalachia is a people group absolutely without a question and so the hill people is kind of what mm -hmm. i've always referred to them as i mean and and you can correct me if i'm wrong because you're much more intelligent than i am but this is encompassing kentucky west virginia north carolina even tennessee all these areas um uh, but it's more not necessarily a geographical region as much as it's a uh, a a type of area you live in within those probably areas. So yeah, if you're, and to clarify, I'm sorry, real quick, is it's a part of Kentucky. It's yeah. not all of Kentucky. The Louisville people wouldn't. They don't associate with us. Okay, <laughs> they, they're yeah very elitist when it comes to that. Uh, it's Western North Carolina. It's the western edge of Virginia. These states are very uh, very diverse. Absolutely. Um, uh, West Virginia may have more of. Uh, 
Appalachia, then those segments of those states, but you guys have larger cities with, I would, I think within those, within Appalachia itself. So yes. you're a bit of an anomaly in that setting, but I think you're onto it. it. It is a people group. It's a way of life. There's so many similarities. I think you could cross the borders and you would find relatives. Oh, absolutely. And, and you mentioned, yeah, that's true. And you mentioned uh, Hillbilly Elegy. And one of the, the points that he uh, makes, the, or one of the things that he alludes to so well in that uh, book, and I've already forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> this is the author, by the way, um, who graduated from Yale and grew up, in, uh, he was part of the Hill people. Yeah. And uh, has a burden to see um, um, a, a different mindset within the Hill people. Yeah. Uh, personal responsibility and uh, job creation, encouraging uh, innovation and so on. Absolutely. So J.D. Vance, uh, the author, is from actually uh, Chapmanville, uh, Kentucky, which is kind of close to where you uh, spent some of your life. And uh, again, he tells, it, I won't ruin it for you, but if you're thinking about planting in a rural setting, if you're thinking about planting uh, in Appalachia in particular, you definitely need to pick up the book uh, and read and read it because it, it's going to really, especially if you're what he would refer to and what, I'm, what I was actually wanting to address is if, if you're an outsider and you're wondering, you know, what the cultural context of this place is like it's going to put you ahead in that obviously mm -hmm. not as well as visiting and experiencing and living amongst those people but mm -hmm. one thing i wanted to uh talk about was his uh what is a very real assessment about the hillbillies the hill people those from appalachia who uh look to these big cities those uh influential areas and we talk about planting and urban centers because they're going to influence the areas around them. But a lot of your hill people, they don't trust the outsiders and the outsiders are the ones in those cultural centers. Oftentimes those who are wealthy artists, influential, don't vote the same way they do. Uh, you know, maybe more open-minded, uh, type of people, progressive type of people. They don't want to listen. They don't want to be influenced in any way by them. Uh, so there's something even that's missed and planting in an urban setting, thinking that it's then going to influence all the areas outside it. Yes, that's going to happen, but not in every single case. And I think certainly when it comes to hill people, hillbillies, Appalachia, I think that there's some breakdown there uh, where you have to almost make yourself an insider before you can even pastor, proclaim the gospel to, uh, certainly correct uh, the people that are there. Mm. So No doubt. Um when it comes to, uh, we think about the uh, what characterizes uh, A29, theological clarity, cultural engagement, missional innovation. Um, talk to us about those, those categories, theological clarity you've touched on, but have you guys come up face-to-face uh, -face with a lot of biblical illiteracy, um, theological confusion? Uh, what, what are the expressions of that, if so? And then what, what are some of the things you, you've tried to do to combat it? Well, yeah, well, I come from a, a state that's, you know, featured on shows like Snake Salvation because we have pastors in our state who who their fathers handled snakes, were bit by them and then died. And then they, instead of realizing, hey, what are we doing? They follow in the steps of their father. Same thing happens to them. And they so we're not going to talk about snake handling here. But what I'm is there is so much uh, in West Virginia 
that and in other places in Appalachia, and, and this would, I'm sure, be true across the board around the, globally, around the world, even where we are right now, Kenya, uh, and in the time I've had in Uganda. So it's not just a, an American thing, but in particular, as we look at Appalachia, there's so much that's nothing more than maybe tradition. My father, my grandfather, uh, my great-grandfather did it this way. They worshiped at this church or the, they were a member of this church. And so that's West Virginia as a whole. We're in more of an academic town, Huntington. Um, again, very small town, less than 50,000 people, even when college is in session, less than 50,000 people. Uh, so it's not that radically what maybe you would think. That's just crazy, uh, which some of what happens in West Virginia is. But we butt up against uh, even things like church planting. Uh, so the idea of, of planting new churches is even something that is culturally, at the time we first did it, was culturally uh, radical even though it was already happening in some of these bigger cities, uh, but it, it was a, something that, so coming into a place, community groups, gospel community groups, that was another thing. And again, that's not theology, but that's uh, the practice of our theology. How, how are we going to live this out uh, as the church? And it was so otherworldly because you go on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer, gathering. And if you don't have a revival service, then there's something wrong with your church. Um, so those are more con mm -hmm. uh, the things that we've... What about preaching? Um, you guys typically work through books of the Bible. Uh, is that commonplace there? No, no, not at all. Um, so that is another... So, uh, And it may be hard to describe for X-29 pastors, especially if you've been in seminary for so long and, and uh, exegetical Preaching has been a part of your life for however many years, but no, you will watch what you've uh, seen a preacher say on TV, kind of jot some notes down in a notebook. Uh, you will take a passage of scripture. If you're maybe a more quote unquote faithful pastor who's read your Bible throughout the week, uh, imagine that, but uh, maybe you've read something that week from uh, wherever it might be. Um, you're going to write a few notes. You're going to stand up there. You're going to have a hanky pat your head and, you know, go off. And then even in more sophisticated churches, okay, so that would be more your country type churches, but in your more sophisticated churches, it will be very topical, which we see all over, uh, all over the world. But again, these pet topics that, that we can have. And so uh, through that, uh, a lot of unsound doctrine can creep in, uh, of course. And uh, legalism, legal, workspace, righteousness. Yeah, so legalism uh, legalism is huge, and uh, how that ties into uh, our culture, that performance-based type, uh, I think, because, um, and again, I, I don't want to talk too much about Appalachia here, but um, so I think there's a, a place, in, and you see this in our churches, too. You see churches dying in the Appalachia area, and I might be going out on a limb here, but I think it, some of it is culturally tied to the fact that um, – Appalachian people are hardworking people who used to, in, at least in my area, my context, these used to be bustling towns, bustling cities, very successful, and the success was perpetuated on our performance. And uh, legalism sounds so good to someone whose success has always been perpetuated on their performance. And then as their performance leads to uh, no life change, because only the gospel, the true gospel can change our lives 
you see people giving up just like they're giving up on work in our area people turning to you know whatever multiple escapes from their life people are turning away from the church too and you're seeing it die everywhere but you're all, you're certainly seeing it die in appalachia so I love your 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 ministry there, but I also love, as I indicated earlier, your connection to the uh, the global church planning movement. Mm. Uh, tell us about what you guys are doing right now. Okay, so right now we're partnering with uh, Sojourn Uganda, and they have two campuses in Kampala, the capital of Uganda. It's an eight to nine church, right? Uh, yes, this is an Acts twenty nine church. Now, uh, this came about uh, in partly through our adoption. Uh, we were able to actually spend some time. I was able to spend some time with the lead pastor of Sojourn Wabigalo uh, before he had completed his X-29 assessment. And so uh, Walujo or B-dubs, as he's known uh, to most people, uh, he was in the pre-assessment, uh, the phone interview and that sort of stage while we were there. So I was able to talk to him. We became really close friends. I was able to to worship at his church, sit under his teaching. Uh, he since then has passed uh, and is a now an Acts 29 candidate. And so at that point, because we were kind of waiting, because we trust Acts 29 deeply at our church, we uh, we trust the assessment process very deeply. I came home. I said, I, I said I'm very sure this guy's going to pass to all of our pastors at the church. And I said, and we need to be ready if he does, because this is our part. We should partner with this with this uh, church in Uganda. So he passed. We partnered. So that is, and, and I was talking to Travis about this. Uh, Travis Whitehead, um, what's your title, man? You're with Emerging Regions. Can I just say it that way? Okay. <laughs> um, I was actually, uh, I was actually talking to Travis Whitehead with Emerging Regions just a little bit ago uh, about what it looks like for us to collaborate with. Uh, globally with other churches uh, and specifically in the emerging regions uh, area and so uh, we talked about acts the the acronym that he gave here so the word acts a, a being assessment so being involved in the assessment of church planters globally um, so we were barely a part of that I mean again I'm just hearing this from Travis tonight so I'm kind of judging us against it um, but we were barely involved in that but we were a little bit I tried to coach him up a little bit about what it was going to be like but that was happening organically that wasn't an intentional thing yet but then coaching was an intentional decision that we made that's the C and acts coaching um, I'm actually coaching Walujo so we talk uh, frequently uh, about we're going through gospel coach the book which again I think is a, a great recommendation if you don't already have uh, something in place uh, that you're using to coach leaders. Um, and then the T is training. Uh, this is my first involvement with that, but our church is again committed to that. We, di we didn't just commit the time uh, to it, but we committed the money to it as well. We said, we're going to pay to uh, get me here to Kenya. Um, and we're going to, again, uh, the responsibilities that I would have as a pastor, we left them behind for a, for a week uh, to be a part of this um, here in East Africa and then the SB in support and uh, way more than just financial, but we're certainly contributing a huge chunk of our uh, missional giving uh, to uh, sojourn in Uganda um, and then trying to support in as many other ways as, as we can. Everything from the little things like sending books, because books are hard to uh, get a hold of here, theologically sound books. Find anything by T.D. Jakes or Joe Osteen here, I promise you that. But uh, good solid theological books we'll send a care package over every now and then or find somebody that's on a plane to uganda and we'll say hey take these 
to our friend B-dubs. Again, just in any way we can, just throwing ourselves all in with Uganda, quite frankly, and uh, kind of saying we're a small church. We could spread ourselves really thin and kind of give $50 here and $100 here, $200 there. But let's give the vast majority of our money here, our time, our energy, our investment, emotionally, physically, um, and financially to this. Mm. And so that's how that's, that's come about. Mm. Small church, small town, big impact. Absolutely. Love it. Uh, I saw your interaction with B-dubs earlier. I just know how much that brother loves you and appreciates you. That partnership is really sweet to, to just see. And, uh, I pray that uh, this podcast would encourage uh, some of you out there to develop those kind of partnerships. And, um, uh, and it's just, uh, it's cool to see um, you here to, to seen him here uh, to think about the conference we've got coming up uh, this week and uh, opportunity to uh, just hang out more. Appreciate your burden for uh, Appalachia in particular um, for um, uh, the local church. And uh, you, you've encouraged me, brother. So um, hopefully you can buy me a hillbilly hot dog sometime. Absolutely. And um, thank you guys for listening to 8 to 9 Podcast. Tell us real quick before we do break um, uh, where they can keep up with you, uh, church website, uh, Twitter handle, anything like that. Okay, so we are uh, redemptionchurch.me. I didn't even know that was a, a thing. So instead of .com, it is redemptionchurch.me. And then on uh, Facebook, Redemption Church WV, and on Twitter, and Instagram redemption WV and uh, it's electric you really got to follow all that stuff you're taking all the pictures right that's right it's awesome thanks for listening guys thank you for listening to this episode of the Acts 29 podcast for more information on Acts 29 visit acts29.com